Okay, so today we're going to continue our He Said What series. Sorry, it's just how I like to say it. I can't help it. Um, And today we're going to unwrap something that the first time we encountered it probably perplexed us. It's multi-layered. And then over time we grew to love or to hate it. And that's the sandwich. (laughs) Does this look familiar to anyone? Where does the sandwich come from? Pramani. And and how do you say the name of that restaurant again? Is it Pramani or Pramani? Pramani. That's important. One one more uh, quiz item. What's, there are many ingredients. As I said, it is multi-layered. What's the one ingredient on this sandwich that kind of makes it stick out as a Pittsburgh classic? French fries. It has fries on it. Okay. Well, this was an important part of my orientation to Pittsburgh about a year ago. I'm still learning all the unique eccentricities of this city and growing to love it all the more. Um, but after I went to Primani Brothers, I went to another restaurant in the area and I saw on the menu, oh, Pittsburgh salad. What makes it a Pittsburgh salad? It has fries on it. Okay, yeah, you're tracking. Then I went to another restaurant. Ooh, Pittsburgh nachos. What could this delicacy be? What was the special ingredient? It has fries on it, right. Okay, so you guys are obviously Pittsburgh insiders. Well, next, we went and looked for houses around the area, and we took these creepy old stairs into this creepy old basement. And right in the middle of the basement just shining in all its glory with no walls around it, no doors, no privacy. What was there? A Pittsburgh potty. You guys are experts. And what did it have on it? It had... No? No? (laughs) Thank God it had no fries on it. Some of you are saying, this is not a thing. This is definitely a thing. All right. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that whatever city you're in, whether it's Pittsburgh or for people listening online, another city right where you are, whatever culture you find yourself in, dare I say, whatever church you find yourself in, there are always these little unspoken signs that tell us, hey, who's an insider and who's an outsider. We can tell whether you're a Yenzer or not by how you pronounce the name of this restaurant, let alone the fries. But for some of us coming to church, we don't always feel like we belong. Sometimes we feel like outsiders. Well, the passage today, in that, Jesus is going to challenge us when we ask the question, who are insiders and who are outsiders in the kingdom of God? So let's pray together as we go to God's word. Heavenly Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit, God, um, not just on the preaching, Lord, but on our hearing. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your Holy Spirit would have to say to your church and what you'd have to say to each of us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to open up the scriptures. If you have your Bible, you can open that up or we'll have it, the words on the screen there. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. All right. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Praise God. Well, when I first read this story, I said to myself, Okay, I'm going to have to come back to this one. I mean, this broken woman pours her heart out at Jesus' feet, asking for him to heal her daughter who's suffering terribly. And Jesus just called her a dog? I mean, imagine that you have a loved one who's gravely ill, and there's only one doctor in the whole region who has successfully cured the type of illness she has. Then you find out he's coming to your town. You're desperate. You've spent many sleepless nights worrying about your loved one's health. You've spent your last penny, and nothing has worked. Well, when you get to the doctor, you've run out of tears and beg him to treat your beloved. And his response is that he doesn't treat people like you, people of your culture. He doesn't treat dogs? Well, File this under a sermon you should never have a missions pastor preach. <laughs> See, my job, my only job really is to remind us all that Jesus loves people of every people group, that we are all called to engage in making disciples of some of the nations. No, all of the nations. Whether that's people in the borough next to you in Pittsburgh, whether it's, oh my gosh, across a river, over a bridge, through a tunnel. Jesus even loves those people. People in Guatemala and Gabon and the Middle East and North Africa and Ukraine and Afghanistan and Cambodia, Indonesia, Japan and other nations of the world. No one is left out of Jesus' plan. But at face value, this passage almost seems to undermine Jesus' whole approach to people and his heart for unreached people. You can understand why at first pass, this was not my favorite, my favorite passage in the Bible. Well, one of the difficult things for Christians today as we read the Bible is that we can't necessarily hear the tone of voice that's used or see the expression on the face and pick up on some of the subtleties. It's like, have you ever gotten an email with full of capital letters and exclamation points, and you think, this person must be really ticked off at me. And then you find out, actually, their tone was excitement. Well, that's happened to me. And what do we do when that happens? Well, ideally, what we do is we think, what is the character of the person who's writing this email? Who do I know them to be? What feelings do I know that they have towards me? 
And are there clues in the text that would help me read their tone the way they intended? So let's do that today. Let's look more closely at the text and see if we can begin to hear the tone of Jesus' voice more clearly. So we're going to camp on several points that are made in the story. And out of that, hopefully that will help us to hear Jesus' tone more clearly. First of all, it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Now, if you read scripture the way that I usually do, you just kind of fly right over when it says what the name of a place was that Jesus went to. You know, kind of, oh, cool, yeah, Jesus went to a place, he did a thing. Where's the meat of the story? Get to it. And uh, we're excited for what happens there, not so much the location. I mean, we obviously can't break out a first century map every time we come across a place name in the Bible. It's understanding. It's understandable. But the setting of this story is actually pretty significant. Jesus was ministering here. This is the Sea of Galilee. And he and his disciples withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. It's only about three inches on this TV screen, but in reality, that's a one to two day journey on foot. So it was totally out of the way, a huge detour. It's like if we were going to walk from here at this church on the north side of Pittsburgh to Washington, PA, on our way to Ross Park Mall up north, it doesn't seem to make sense on the surface. And so what's interesting to me in this text is as Jesus travels all this way, in this passage in Matthew, it shares actually no other reason for Jesus to go there. It doesn't say he went to heal throngs of sick people or to preach the gospel or even to work on his tan. In fact, encountering this woman seems to be his one and only recorded ministry purpose in Tyre and Sidon. So we know that there was intention here. He took a one to two day detour from his place of ministry to encounter this woman. Well, what else do we see in this first sentence? You'll see a word pop out here. Canaanite, a Canaanite woman. Now, would this have been a surprise to Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon? I don't know, I had to look it up myself. Um, Well, what kind of people do you meet when you go to Tyre and Sidon? Canaanites, makes sense. It's like saying, I went to Pittsburgh and I met a Steelers fan. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Jesus knew exactly where he was going. And he knew what kind of people he would encounter there. So this interaction is not an accident. This is an appointment. Back to the text. The woman was crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This woman was in unimaginable pain and knew Jesus was her child's only hope. You see, her little girl was demon-possessed. And if you read about people who face demon possession in the Bible, you might get a clue to what kinds of things this child might have been experiencing. See, in one place in the scripture, a demon would throw a person into a fire. In another, they'd have seizures or other intense medical issues. In another case, they drove a man to live among the graves and to cut himself with rocks. Now, to be clear, a person can experience any of these things, except maybe being thrown into a fire, 
and not be demon-possessed. So let's not go out after the service and assume everyone we meet with a problem has a demon. We've got to look at ourselves first. But if they do have a demon, as this girl did, one thing is for sure, their life is at risk. This mom probably has seen every doctor, every witch doctor. She's probably read every WebMD article and every treatment has failed. She's afraid she's going to lose the most precious thing in the world to her. And she'd obviously heard of Jesus' reputation and knows he's her last hope. But this time, Jesus had a very unusual response. Jesus did not answer a word, much like this television screen. <laughs> Let's remember that for next service. That was good. Thanks. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus did not answer a word. Have you ever experienced a moment in conversation or in a speech where the speaker is silent? Because what they're about to say means everything? We call this a pregnant pause. Maybe some of you are even experiencing a bit of Jesus' pregnant pause in your own life right now. Maybe you've been banging on the doors of heaven in prayer for a loved one or for yourself and only been met with silence. You know who Jesus is and how much he cares for you. Yet you wonder, why does he seem so silent? Your circumstances seem to suggest that he doesn't hear you. Yet you know deep down inside that he does. Jesus hears your cries. And my prayer is, that no matter how difficult what you may be going through is right now, that you realize that what you need even more than his answers is his presence. See, Jesus was there. He was fully present with her, even in the silence. But how did Jesus, very own disciples, standing all around him, respond to the woman? So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. They were annoyed. And let's be honest, sometimes Christians just don't understand. I'll include myself in that club. Unfortunately, sometimes Jesus' very own people, we are way too skilled at making people feel like outsiders. We are far too quick to label them and far too slow to listen to their stories so we can share Jesus' love with them. His disciples looked at this Canaanite woman as unworthy of, the, of their time. She was an outsider. They were insiders. Then Jesus does something totally unexpected based on any other story you've ever read about him. It seems very out of character. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Rather than rebuke his disciples, he almost seems to join in with them. Is Jesus really telling this mother, you're not the right kind of person, you don't belong? Or is he doing something way more clever and thoughtful here? You see, Jesus almost predicted this moment to a T at the beginning of his public ministry. In Luke 4, you can find this story where he went to the synagogue and he opened up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah 
and proclaimed how the Holy Spirit was upon him to proclaim good news to who? To the poor, to the prisoners, to the blind, to the oppressed, to outsiders, to people just like this woman and her daughter. And then in that story in Luke 4, he rolled up the scroll and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All eyes were fastened upon him. But Jesus knew their intolerant, ethnocentric, and prideful hearts. So he took the opportunity to remind them that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Huh. Now their response in Luke 4 in the synagogue to Jesus saying that God might rescue a foreigner, a woman of Sidon, the exact place he now stood in the conversation with the Canaanite woman, their response was to try and kill him, not because he was too exclusive, but because in fact he was too inclusive of people they didn't deem worthy. So when, when Jesus told this woman that he came only to the lost sheep of Israel, this wasn't just for her ears. It was for his disciples' ears as well. Because if anyone was lost in this story around him, it was his disciples. They seemed to have completely lost sight of Jesus' character. But the story only escalates from there. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? How could he say something like that? No, Jesus, what were you doing? This is a tender and a heavy moment. And for some of you, this is actually probably touching a pretty raw nerve. You've actually been treated like this at some point. Perhaps even your medical concerns were even glossed over because of the color of your skin. This isn't an imaginary scenario. Someone has said to you at some point, you don't belong here. Go back to where you came from. Go find another table to sit at. It's painful stuff. And on some small level, I can relate. You see, my family is a biracial family, and the afternoon after I preached my first sermon at ACAC, that was about a year ago, hey, they invited me back. That's good news for me. Um, Right after I finished my, preaching my first sermon here, um, you guys just made me feel so welcome. And I was kind of floating on cloud nine as I went home. And uh, so we were just at a point in our move here where our house was just starting to feel like a home. And so I called my kids out to help me to put up the Christmas lights on the house. It was about November. This was a joyful moment. And our house was start, finally starting to feel like home. And just then, someone drove by and screamed at the top of their lungs a slurry of racial hatred towards my kids to the extent I had never heard before. Of course, I won't repeat it, all the four-letter words, but they ended it with calling my child the N-word on our front lawn as we put up the Christmas lights. I don't know that I've ever experienced a stronger sense of being an outsider or unwelcome in a place. Thankfully, things have gotten much better since. But what's more, 
They were hurling a racial slur at my child. These moments hurt. And so when you've had experiences like that, and you don't have to be of a certain culture to have had it, we've all had experiences where we feel like outsiders. But then you read a passage like this, and it's not just an odd, quirky story. It can break your heart. Maybe you've been, even been rejected by Christians who have judged your shortcomings more harshly than they judge their own. Maybe, they, maybe this Jesus thing is not for me, you might have said, if this is what his followers are like. And if that's you, I'm sincerely sorry. And I think you can probably relate a lot to the feelings of this woman in our story. But hang on just a little bit longer, because there's hope, thank God. I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's actually playing out his disciples' prejudices to their ridiculous conclusions so they can see it right before their eyes. But he won't let this go on forever. How does this woman respond when Jesus tells her it's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs? She says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Whoa, that's gutsy. You don't talk, like Jesus, talk to Jesus like that. Like, Jesus doesn't lose debates. <laughs> Does he? But she calls Jesus out on the carpet in front of everyone, and he lets her. She's not even arguing that she deserves this healing for her daughter. She calls herself a dog. She's used to that. That's how low of you she has of herself. But she knows the master. And she, thank you, she knows he is willing for her to eat from his table. Even if it's under the table, she's willing to accept it. It's almost like she's implying, mm-mm, I know you, Jesus. I know this is not your character, Jesus. You're my master, and I trust you to feed me and my little kid here. You'll see the word pop out on the screen. Lord, she called him. You see, her bold response, calling him Lord, calling him Master, suggests that she sensed Jesus wasn't pushing her away. Jesus was pulling something out of her, something hard to say. He was pulling her faith out of her. He didn't want to say it for her. He wanted to hear her say it because, because he knows Whatever she goes through in life, it's not going to be easy following Jesus. And there's going to come a time in her life where she's going to say, I stand for Jesus when everyone else tells her she doesn't belong. And so when she does, it's as though Jesus himself erupts in celebration, eager to end the test. Then Jesus said to her, woman, he doesn't call her a dog, woman. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Praise God. His disciples, on the other hand, might have been a little flabbergasted. You see, just a chapter earlier, he had used this expression with them. You might have heard of it before. Ye of little faith. That didn't feel too good. And now here he was elevating this woman's faith above just about any other statement of faith they had heard before. He's elevating the woman. Do you realize what just happened here? I have to credit my friend Charles Yu for pointing this out to me. Jesus just allowed a foreign woman, a woman with a child 
who was demon-possessed, who would have been seen as the ultimate outsider, someone on the very bottom rung of society, he allowed her to beat him in a debate. Yeah. Remind me again, when did Buddha do that? When did Muhammad do that? Or Joseph Smith? Of all the so-called prophets and founders of religions, only Jesus allowed a foreign woman to win a debate with him and then saw to it to make sure that this moment would someday make it to print. We'd be talking about it for centuries afterwards because that is who Jesus is. Being in very nature God, he's humble. That is the character of Jesus. You see, he'd come all this way to Tyre and Sidon. As far as we know from this passage, only for her, for this moment, to make a seat at the table for her. But she had to choose to accept the invitation. He made a place at the table for someone who never in a million years would have thought they deserved to be at the table. They thought they deserved to be under the table. He set a place at the table for her, even in the presence of her apparent enemies. And he extends a place at the table for you and for me. And so I know I've made a lot of points in this sermon, you know, most of which we probably won't remember as soon as we walk out. But if there's one point I want you to take away today, it's this. No matter where you come from, what you're going through now or what you've been through, no matter what you've done, how unworthy you feel, what your story is, or what anyone else thinks about you, Jesus invites you to his table. Amen. And perhaps you, you hear that and there's this sense of knowing you don't actually deserve a place in Jesus' family. Welcome to the family. None of us do. Jesus invites outsiders to be insiders. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect or anywhere close. You don't have to be of a certain social status or culture or look, act, talk, eat, think like anyone else. Jesus might even say to you in the spirit of this story, hold on, regardless of what even some of my own followers have said to you, come, sit right here with me. I've made a place for you. You belong at my table. I've gone so far not only to tire and Sidon, but I've gone to the cross to die for your sins and to rise again just to make a place for you at my table. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. Just admit that, like me, you're broken. You have some sin in your life. You don't meet God's perfect standard like everyone else in this room and accept Jesus' invitation. Trust Jesus. Okay, so we're going into the bonus round now. Does anyone want to know why on earth we have this sandwich here other than the goofy story at the beginning? Fries and all? Well, some of you probably aren't convinced with my retelling of the story. Maybe I got the tone wrong. Um, and if you, that's you, that's fine. Be a critical thinker. Don't just accept it because I happen to be the guy standing at the podium. I just want to ask you to read a little closer. But I also want you to think of this as a sandwich story. 
What do I mean by that? Well, there's something before and after, above and below this story that holds it all together and gives it context. And it's right there in the scripture if we just read the context. So what are the pieces of bread holding this story together, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. (laughs) Well, first, just one chapter earlier, we read a story called The Feeding of the 5,000. Now, did Jesus say when he provided the food for those 5,000 plus people, oh, by the way, the bread and the fish, those are for the Israelites only. Everybody else, go find your own lunch. All the dirty people in the crowd can go hungry. No. Did Jesus segregate his church meeting on the side of a mountain? Nope, he didn't do that. There's a message in that for us, church. Do you see what Matthew and the Holy Spirit are laying out, how they're laying out the ingredients of the sandwich here? Jesus made sure everyone was so fed, so much that it says there were crumbs and chunks of bread left over. No one had to eat those. They were already full because everyone was invited to eat. Sound familiar from our story today? Everyone's welcome. Everyone gets full. More than enough crumbs left over. That's the first piece of the bread. And maybe the fries. Then after the story we just read today, there's another story right after it. That one's called The Feeding of the 4,000. It's not an editorial mistake. It's there on purpose. It's not just redundancy. It's designed as a sandwich story, something before and after that gives the story of the one, the Canaanite woman meaning. You see, once again, he feeds thousands upon thousands of people. Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets full. More than enough. Crumbs left over, but no one needs to eat those. That's not a redundant storytelling mistake. Our story today is actually sandwiched in between these story as the meat, as the flavor, because we can all look and see, oh, Jesus does all the, Jesus loves everything. He loves the world. He feeds 5,000. Yes, but when it comes to our story, do we really trust in that? Do we really believe it? And what, how does that play out in this woman's very tender story? Well, as it turns out, Jesus calls her a woman of great faith because he wasn't pushing her away. He was pulling her faith out of her, and she responded in faith. So in closing, I want to talk to two groups of people here today, and maybe you're kind of like half in one camp, half in the other. That's okay. I probably am too. First, I want to talk to people who really relate to the story of the Canaanite woman, and you've been called or you felt like an outsider to the kingdom of God, to Jesus' table. I want to tell you, you belong. And all you have to do, if there's a little seed of faith in you, maybe that's been growing and it's about to burst forth from the soil. Jesus is calling your faith out of you. He was silent at a moment like this, a pregnant pause. So we're going to be silent for just a moment. And would you pray with me if you're in this group of folks? Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you and Lord, we're just thankful that you make a seat at the table for us, Lord. And yes, it's for everybody, but it's also a very personal invitation. And Lord, I want to receive your invitation. And so I would just ask my brothers and sisters, if that's them, to just, whether they whisper or say it out loud, just say the word, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. 
Would you be Lord of my life? Would you be my master? Would you just take the rest of my life and do with it what you want? I just want to serve you, Jesus. Lord, it's confusing sometimes. I, I felt like an outsider in church, but Lord, there's something about you. I can't help but like you, Jesus. And uh, Lord, I just want to respond to you in faith. Would you be my savior? Would you save me from my sins and give me eternal life and a seat at your table? Amen. If that's you, I just want to encourage you after the service, come up, chat with me, or we have a prayer room um, down the hall, down there in the corner, uh, where you can have someone pray with you and talk through your journey. We'd love to get to pray with you. Uh, now I'm going to speak to that second group of people, and I'll also kind of, I have probably one foot in this camp too, where we consider ourselves insiders in the kingdom of, kingdom of God. And thankfully we are. But sometimes we find it way too easy to make other people feel like outsiders. You may have actually said these words. I like all cultures, except just this one. Or we group them as liberals and conservatives, Catholics and Protestants, union people, non-union people, Yenzers, Boomers, Gen Z. They totally forgot about Gen X, but woke, pro-choice, pro-life, gay, straight, Homeless, homeowners, addicts or not, able-bodied, disabled, beautiful or unattractive. We're far too comfortable labeling people. But Jesus asks us, before we take the speck of dust out of our neighbor's eyes, let's remove the plank from our own eyes. So let's go to prayer together to Jesus' throne. God, uh, we just admit that Lord, sometimes we're just too comfortable labeling people as outsiders or making them feel that way. Lord, we take pride in where we sit at your table and let us not take pride, but approach that with the same humility as this woman, knowing we're just dogs. We don't deserve to be at this table. It's only by your grace that we're here. And Lord, if that's us, uh, we just want to say two, two words to you. Forgive us. Lord, change us, God. Help us to not be so focused on excluding people, but being focused on including people who, who we have deemed unworthy, to invite them in to your table and to show them the love of Jesus. And yes, there may be sins that need to be dealt with in their life. There are sins that need to be dealt with in ours, but help us to have the humility to sit at the table with them and invite them to have a seat. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you stand with me for the closing blessings? I don't want anyone walking out of here feeling guilty. I want you to feel free because we just came to the throne of Christ and he does forgive us. And he does give us second chance after third chance after fourth chance um, to do it right. And so God has blessed you and God blessed you today. But then walk out of here, be a blessing to someone else and help them find a seat at Jesus' table. In Jesus' name, amen.